Welcome to the Fundraising Leadership Podcast, where we engage in thoughtful conversations with professionals in the nonprofit world or professionals in professional development and personal development, as is the case today. I'm here today with my partner, Janice Cunning. Good morning, Janice. Morning, Margaret. And we have the treat today of having an author with us whose name is Humera Kabir. She um she caught my eye with with her book about perfectionism or saying kind of putting putting that down. It's called Goodbye Perfect: How to Stop Pleasing, Proving and Pushing for Others and Live for Yourself. And Humera is the funder and CEO of the Goodbye Perfect Project that provides science-backed tools, programs, and experiences to help women rise to their highest potential. She's a coach, she's a thought leader, she's an author, and she's a scientist, and we are very happy to have her here today. Good morning, Humera. Good morning, Margaret. What a wonderful introduction. Thank you. Sure. And I'm excited because Humera has recently moved back to Toronto, where I am. So we're also new neighbors. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And we'd love to um, just start by asking you, you know, why why this book? What I know that's that's a big question, but maybe just a little intro. What what? Why did you choose this book to write, or why did it choose you? Why did it choose me? (laughs) What a wonderful way of putting it. I think writing chose me when I when I sometimes think back to my life writing is nothing that not a subject that I ever took in in my life or in any of my college university whatever but writing is something that chose me it it kind of draws me so it was I knew that I wanted to write something and then obviously my profession took me toward this topic so when I did my master's uh, and I was doing my postgrad uh, research, what I was really trying to understand was what does it take for us to flourish? What does it take for women in particular to flourish? So my subject wasn't confidence. It wasn't perfection. It was none of those. It was really trying to understand how do we rise to our highest potential and uh, and how do we help others do that? Because it was a master's in positive psychology and coaching psychology. And um, and what I found was that we are, as human beings, wired to flourish, just like every other living thing is wired to flourish. It is the concept of entelechy. It is inbuilt within us. And what it needs is the right environment to flourish. And what we don't get, a lot of us, is that right environment. It is that secure attachment environment, which is, you know, it is not about blaming anybody. It's just because it is a very high bar to expect that secure attachment environment, especially in our day and age. And so what results is something called fragile confidence. And the kind of confidence that does help us flourish is called optimal confidence. So my research had started about flourishing, but then it turned into confidence and about studying these two different forms of high confidence. Both are high confidence. Fragile confidence is high only as long as you're getting positive feedback, success, as long as things are going well in your life. 
And optimal confidence is confidence regardless. I mean, yes, we can all feel bad with a you know with negative feedback, bad hair day, whatever whatever you want to call it. But you know, um, at the end of the day, it does not affect how we feel about ourselves. Uh, feeling sad doesn't turn into shame. Feeling angry doesn't turn into rage or whatever the extreme forms, which is much more difficult to get out of. We're far more resilient. Um, and so it became a study about that and about understanding what is the difference between fragile confidence and optimal confidence. And there is only one thing that dif differentiates the two, uh, something that we never really even talk about, and it's called global self-esteem. And global self-esteem is essentially about liking ourselves, about accepting ourselves the way we are. So breaking down that construct of global self-esteem into its different components, studying them, learning ways to implement them in our lives, and and then seeing where that takes us. Mm. Yeah, I love how, yeah, it felt like um, in reading the, the, the beginning of the book and in hearing you talk, yeah, that it was like an unfolding, like you had a, you had these questions as good coaches always do, yeah. right? You had yeah. questions and then you sort of let it um, take you places. And one thing you mentioned in the book it, that struck me was, you know, you, as you mentioned, you do focus on women, but then you also had men coming to you and saying like, can I read this book? Is this for me? So maybe talk a little bit about that, like how gender does play a role, but how it can also be a very universal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, uh, so I have, I have, I've been writing for a long time. I've been blogging, I've been guest blogging. And so I have a significant following and and uh, when I went and looked at my following, a good 20 to 25 percent of them happen to be men, although I write for women. I mean, I address women when I'm when I'm writing. And and so but then these men just stayed on because obviously something appealed to them. So when I was mentioning the book and talking about it and what the book entailed, uh, a lot of men wrote to me saying, I, I actually relate to all of this. And, you know, don't say it's just for women, it is for men too. And I think, I often say it is for sensitive men, and it is for conscientious men. Uh, because, uh, you know, a lot of the way uh, a lot many women end up feeling the way we do is because of societal expectations, is because of the molds that we are uh, made to fit into. And a lot of men, a lot of young boys growing up can feel the same way because the same way that we have expectations of women, we also have expectations of men. Uh, now, by and large, men can generally roll with those expectations because many of them are tied to their natural personality traits, but then for some of them, they are not. So which is why then they struggle and, uh, and then they try to become somebody else in order to gain that you know, when you don't feel worthy enough, uh, and where does that self-worth come from? It, it comes from the external world when we're really little, then you try and become something else to gain that sense of self-worth, self right? So how do we then undo all of those masks that we wear to become somebody else? And 
And yeah, so by and large, it does. I mean, I always say, if you feel you can't be fully authentic, if you feel you can't express yourself the way you are, if you feel you are not giving yourself permission, even if the world is giving you permission, you're not giving yourself permission to be the way you are, then obviously there is some inner work to do. Uh, there are some masks to shed. Uh, and and there is the courage that is required to be able to do so. Yeah. Um. Thank you. I, I'm still. I guess I'm still curious. Do you feel like um, fragile confidence looks looks different in men or and women, or or is it just sort of one one big magilla? For- wow, what a wonderful question! Because fragile confidence does can look a lot of different ways. In women, now again, we're talking about generalizations here, right? Because you know, everyone everyone's an individual and very different. But generally, in women, it can show up as a yo-yo between low confidence and high confidence. So it yo-yos quite a bit. You feel confident when things go well, but then even that confidence, you you have the imposter syndrome right following you right on the um, right behind. Even when you get praise, you're like, okay, one minute is happy, and the next day is, oh my god, did I really deserve this? I think. So and so helped me, or I think, you know, it was just luck. I don't think I'll be able to do it again, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So for women, it is a yo-yo between self-doubt, the imposter syndrome, feeling good, not so good. Uh, For men, again, in general, uh, it can, they can uh, start taking in because fragile confidence is dependent on external feedback. For men, that external feedback, if you think about it, in workplaces, in societies, is quite consistent. For women, it is not as consistent. You know, you're always reminded of some ways in which you fall short, in subtle or not so subtle ways. And for men, it tends to be more consistent. Their behaviors, even if they're a little bit, you know, uh, talking about themselves in a way that a woman would not feel comfortable doing. She would find obnoxious or she would not want to talk like that. A man, when he does many of those things, they're just taken, you know, power for the course. Like it's normal for a man to talk in a certain way. We accept a lot of things from men and we reward them for it. And so that consistent supply of positive feedback can, can at its extreme lead to kind of narcissistic behaviors. So. In general, men, because fragile confidence is dependent on external feedback, and because for men, external feedback is more consistent, that fragile confidence can become a way of being, and that confidence can look like overconfidence to many of us. Whereas for women, it is like a yo-yo between low confidence and regular confidence. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm just thinking about, you know, a lot of the men that I know that, you know, grew up with so little, it wasn't that they didn't get positive feedback, but so little affirmation of love. And, you know, they had these very stoic fathers who never told them that they were doing a good job at something. It was sort of an expectation. So I'm just trying to kind of reconcile. Yes. That's also such a wonderful question, Margaret, because it is complicated. I mean, you know, insecure attachment, you could have anxious insecure, you could have avoidant insecure. Uh, For a lot of people, avoidant insecure can lead to a lot of narcissistic behaviors or because you never felt that kind of love or confirmation, like you said, um, you know, you start believing you're better than you really are. That's the only way you can deal with the pain of not mattering to people who you look to, to matter. And and then you, you know, you just 
start feeling you're better than you are and you start being very judgmental of other people. You can't see the good in other people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and that can happen to women too. But again, like I said, because of women's personalities, because of our uh, sensitive nature, because of our agreeable nature, these are personality traits that women tend to have more of because of our relational nature. We tend to not become too big in our heads. <laughs> Yeah. And another, you know, piece that struck me that I think a lot of people will relate to at work, but also in life. And I think social media really feeds in is the idea of comparing. So maybe you can give us some sense of like, how does comparing fit into fragile? Comp yes. So comparing fits in, in the sense that when you feel that deep sense of lack, inadequacy, shame, whatever, however you want to call it, you you try to become something else. Like these are all the different masks of perfection that you wear. And I and I talk about six of them in the book, which is pleasing. And then there's this perfectionistic behaviors. Uh, and there is uh, superiority. There is, uh, there's six of them in the book. And so uh, you try to become, and these are all ways of trying to show I'm perfect, like I, I didn't make a mistake, or I'm better than you, or whatever it is. And then when there is, so you're always looking, it's not intrinsically driven, whatever you're trying to do is not coming from yourself, it doesn't involve your strengths, it, your goals are not always your own, you're always just seeing am I as good as the other, or am I better than the other, or, you know, so it is always... Uh, that's where comparison plays a role. It is uh, your goals and your ways of uh, trying to achieve those goals are not authentic. They're not your own. Uh, well, and I think I must say for our listeners, and you know, you chime in too, Margaret, if you have something extra, but I think fundraising inherently is so, it's so much about comparing competitiveness and like, what have you done today? Like, yeah, okay, you got a big gift yesterday, but, you know, <laughs> what did you do today? Yeah, there's so much pleaser, so much pleaser in the space here, too. And and somebody else did better. I, I, you know, there's a, there's a Netflix show that I sometimes see <laughs> just to give my mind a break, and it's called Selling Sunset. I don't know whether any of you have watched it. It's about real estate and this the these group of women who are selling real estate it's it's quite a laugh <laughs> if you want to watch it uh, but uh it's all about you know somebody sold this house and they made that much and what have you there's that constant comparison and and yeah uh, and there are a couple of them within it who are very you know they're very satisfied happy they know what they're doing they enjoy the process who don't get caught up in it but yeah totally it can it can totally it depends why you're in it you know how does it drive you what what are what are your motivators and and then sometimes yes recognizing that voice because we are social creatures and comparison is a natural thing so instead of just saying oh i should never compare or you know trying to become saintly in some way just recognize it how is it affecting me how is it affecting my interactions and what will i do about it yeah i mean i think that's you know a big part of our work in that space i think is helping people like reconnect to like why or you know your why which you know it's very mission focused obviously if you work for a nonprofit, and like what are your values 
values and how does it align? And many fundraisers will talk about, you know, a way to kind of reground themselves is to to connect like the stories, you know, of the people that their their organization exists, you know, to serve ultimately. Um, so I do think it's, yeah, we definitely see, we see a lot of like people pleasing and sort of um, people, it's easy to kind of lose yourself, you know, when you work in fundraising, because if you're working for a mission focused uh, organization, you, you, you know, it feels so high stakes, literally, like every day your job feels so high stakes. And so it's, it can be very easy. So what, what is like, um, I'm wondering for you, Hamera, like, what are some of the antidotes? Like if we're, if we're, if, if people are listening and going, I think I might be riding that fragile confidence roller coaster. What are some of the first steps that we can take to move into optimal confidence? Uh, um, I'll get to that in a minute, but you know, when you were talking about that high stakes and in fundraising, I'm just thinking one thing that could be helpful is for people to celebrate properly every time they have they they are whatever however that success is defined in the profession you know raised money because i don't think we do that often enough and celebration is not only about saying yay yay you know we made that much that definitely is a part of it i think we don't even do that enough or you know guilt free but even beyond that trying to understand what helped me do this? Because once we really figure out, okay, what helped me do it? Who did I reach out to? What was perhaps my mindset in that moment? What was I thinking about? How was I motivating myself? What, you know, just recreating the entire scenario, then we feel it is in our control. And maybe when things aren't going so well, we can say, okay, this worked last time around, or these were the people I reached out to or whatever it was. And let's see whether we can try that again so that even when it's not happening and others are are able to do it and we aren't, we can always say, okay, you know what, this is what works for me. Let me see whether I can try that again. Um, And to your question, how do we start moving from fragile confidence to optimal confidence? I mean, I talk about the growth ladder and that Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, there's only one key difference in terms of construct between fragile confidence and optimal confidence. Fragile confidence is things going well. Externally, you feel confident. Things have gone well, but there's no underlying feeling of, okay, I'm competent, I'm worthy, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas in optimal confidence, it is externally things going well underpinned by that layer of I'm worthy, I'm I'm competent. At the end of the day, the two components of uh, self-esteem are self-worth and competence. So those, how do we build them internally within ourselves? And so that is the work. I mean, um, it is a build, a, a building a sense of belonging, which begins by being good friends to ourselves, identifying how we talk to ourselves. We generally don't even recognize how how negative we are or how dismissal we are of ourselves, both things. Even when we things go well in our lives, we don't fully take it in. And when things don't go badly, we are quite harsh on ourselves. And how do we turn that around? Self-compassion is a huge thing, really trying to understand what self-compassion is, which is not just, you know, Ah, it's okay, it's okay, kind of thing. But it's also the responsibility aspect. So it is both. Paul Gilbert, who's done a lot of research on self-compassion, always talks about the kindness, but then also the responsibility. What's important now 
and taking action toward that. So if anything, I mean, begin with self-compassion and begin with genuinely loving yourself, uh, taking time to be with yourself, understanding your strengths, uh, understanding your humanity, being kind to yourself, you know, kind of, I always say, fall in, fall in love with yourself like you would fall in love with a newborn child of yours. And that is the love that allows us to forgive ourselves, to forgive other people, to see the humanity in other people. It all begins from there. It is that sense of belonging that is absolutely critical uh, for everything else that follows. Absolutely critical for competence because it begins with that unconditional love to be able to see ourselves in positive regard. These, this is belonging and mastery. It is what creates that construct of global self-esteem. Yeah, Humera, when we were um, we were emailing to get get this set up, you mentioned that you had had a lot of chaos and disruption mm -hmm. during the summer, and that you that you were living into what you had written. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to share a little bit about what what did you do well this summer that this had summer? you claim in a beautiful way that you were living into. Goodbye. Oh, that is such a wonderful question, and I. I'm preaching all this, but didn't take the time to really think, what did I do well over the summer? But now that you've made me think about it, uh, Margaret, I think what I did well was I came, I, uh, there was a big decision that I needed to make. And I think decisions are so complex, you know, and I think they'll keep getting more and more complex for us. One, as we get older, and two, the world has become so complex and chaotic. There are no easy answers. And the decision was a very, 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 very complex one. And both, and one day I would move toward one and the next morning I would move toward the other. And sometimes I'd move between the two by the hour. And it was just driving me very crazy. And, and so one, I brought a lot of compassion to myself to help me calm down so that I could think from a clear space. Uh, and then uh, I decided from my gut, and I feel really proud about that. So not just with my gut, but I really followed a process that I usually talk about with my clients as well, uh, which is grounded in a lot of research by Daniel Kahneman. Um, and it is about writing down the pros and cons of both options that we're so confused about so that we get it all down, get it all down on paper so that there are no more, you know, fleeting thoughts, et cetera, et cetera, confusing in our heads. Write it all down, look at it, talk about it with others, do whatever you need to do, and then put it all away and go with your gut. And I've never usually decided with my gut before. <laughs> I, I always take a very head-centric approach and I allowed myself to do that. And I and it brought me a lot of calm and uh, contentment with the decision. And that's something I feel very proud about. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Yes. Good. Good with the good with the gut. And you you do talk about that indecision as as being part of, right? Like when we can't make a decision, that's that's a sign. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I talk about the inner guide in the book. And that inner guide is the voice of intuition. And I think the more we develop that, again, in a way, in not because sometimes intuition can be confused with fear, right? We just feel something in our gut and it could be fear. And we just say, okay, it's intuition and something's telling me this, but I mean, it could be fear directing us. So how do you really develop that voice of intuition? How do you 
how do you build that future self of yours who, who can guide you and answer a lot of the questions that you have? And so getting, uh, because there's a lot of research that on our future selves that shows that a future self is more like a, a stranger. We don't really know that future self of ours. And so the more time we spend with her or him or, you know, whatever, and uh, uh, try to see, okay, how will that direct our decisions? What what did she say to us? How is she living? What brought her there? What are the words of guidance that she can give us right now in our difficult moments? Um, that That... That is a practice. And I try to do that too every single day. Just step for a while into that future self and let her decide a lot of the even the smaller decisions. Because I always say begin with the smaller things. That is when we are at our most calm and connected. So that we're not trying to, you know, call forth all of these uh sensitivities that we do have, but trying to call all that wisdom and all that courage for, forward when we haven't even practiced that muscle ever in the little things. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to decide what to eat for breakfast. Yes, but it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I have to, you know, I think, yeah, I, um, I'm just, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm reflecting on, you know, Margaret and, and David and Michelle and I have all done the same uh, leadership. It was a 10 month arc of this leadership program. And I do, I don't remember the exact moment, but I do remember at some point it's sort of, I felt like something clicked where I was like, oh, it's not like confidence isn't about feeling like you know what to do. Confidence is believing you'll figure it out. Exactly. Like that you're enough. Like if you show up with like an intention, you know, and, and presence um, and an open heart, it's like you will figure out what to do. And that like, it just really, it seems obvious in some ways now, but it was just like, what? <laughs> because of course you can't always know what to do. I mean, if you only do, if you only, confidence only came from knowing what to do, then we'd all be just doing the same, like three things over and over again, right? Yes, <laughs> never trying. Yeah. Exactly. 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 It's Nobody would nice. ever write a book if they, you know, I mean, your book wouldn't exist. You know what I mean? Because it's like, well, unless you've written a book before, you don't actually know how to write a book, right? So it's just, I mean, it just makes me laugh. But I do, I do think so much of our society is, it, yeah, is like some uh, BS idea that like, people who are confident, like know what to do. And it's like, no, they just mm. believe that they're going to figure it out. You know? yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's not even a belief in our head sometimes. It's just a sense, you know, you just go, it's like, it's like, it's like a child making uh, sandcastles on the beach. Literally, that's the way it's often been described. They're just rolling with it. They're just going with it. You know, they just know, they just have a sense. I mean, they don't question themselves. Am I a good sandcastle maker or whatever? They just go with it because they know they'll figure it out in the process of doing it yeah oh I love that so that that's, again you know to yeah. get to that level that's called mastery to get there you do need a sense of belonging first because if you feel that somebody is judging you or you are judging yourself with that inner voice you're not going to do it so belonging always comes before mastery having that secure sense that you know people are going to encourage me if I turn to somebody for help they're going to be there for me and that you're not going to be beating down on yourself all along and comparing yourself to others. Look, their castle is all already bigger than mine. What am I doing here? 
wrong profession. <laughs> that does actually make, um, I, I just would love to ask that, you know, this term imposter syndrome, there's so, so many, like, it's such a buzz about that right now. And I would love just if you could, I don't know, explain to what, what, what should we know about that? This idea of imposter syndrome that people, you know, people are starting to understand enough to write like in my clients. And sometimes, you know, they talk about them that as a yeah. diagnosis, I guess, yeah. in quotes yeah. for themselves. I mean, technically, it is just that that mismatch between what you know about yourself, which is, yes, I can do a good presentation or yes, I can raise money in the moment when you've had the success and what you deep down believe about yourself. Oh, my God, I don't know whether I'll be able to do this again. Even if you don't hear it in your head, it's just that gut. It's just that sense. So technically, that's what it means. It's the mismatch between the two. Now, I always say this. It's okay when you feel that. It's okay to feel the self-doubt. It's okay to feel like an imposter or a fraud. The thing is, these these uh, feelings are driven from, uh, from the intrinsic world. We have no control over those feelings because they are very deeply embedded within us when you're fragile confidence. They're very deeply embedded. So when they come up, which all we need to do is not take them so seriously. To recognize them, the self-doubt, the feelings of being an imposter, whatever they are, just see them. They just, they're literally visceral and we have no control over them. So they come up, you say, ah, oh, there it is. Give it a name, call it the whatever, Aunt Fanny, whatever you want to call her and say, oh, she's here. Interesting. Okay. What am I going to do now? So if you feel the imposter syndrome, the first thing is celebrate your success. Say, yes, that went well. You know, what did I do well for that to happen, et cetera, et cetera, so that you can start believing that you can do this again. It happened because of something well that you did and that you can do it again. Uh, similarly with the self-doubt, when it comes up, recognize it and say, okay, that's there. It's trying to protect me. But really, I mean, there's nothing Okay, listen to it. Sometimes you do need to listen to it because that doubt may be telling you something that you need to do. So just listen to it enough, satisfy that, and then just move on. But don't get too caught up in the feeling. One day I was asking a client who was a man and I was asking him, do you ever feel the imposter syndrome? And he said, I'm sure I do, but I don't give it much thought. And I thought, what a wonderful way of you know putting it. Uh, yeah, I mean, many of us feel it. Some of us feel it more strongly just because we feel all emotions more strongly. Some of us feel it more strongly because we give it a lot of thought and um, importance. But the point is just recognize it, breathe, say, give it a name if you want to, and then just say, okay, what do I need to do now? I love that. Should we get give people something to try? Because you know we love to give people something to try. So there's, there's um, been a lot of things to yes. try. <laughs> there's a lot of things to one think about. Let's, solid, yeah. One solid thing that people can can you know can take away, whether it's professionally or personally, um, to help them. You know, if, if if like I said earlier, if you feel like fragile confidence, and we all have fragile confidence, there's, there's no fixing yourself. But if you if you're resonating, like, yeah, maybe I, I spend more time there, and I would like to spend more time in optimal confidence, what's something you would like, Mara, to give people to try? You know what, because uh, where, where the uh, conversation has gone, I think what I would like to give is a practice that I call SING, and it is about celebrate celebration. 
And SING is an acronym, so there are four components to it, and it helps a lot with the imposter syndrome because what it does is it helps take a moment of a positive moment, whether it's a success, a good interaction, whatever it is, you have a good interaction with your partner, anything in your life where you want, you feel that you could take it in, you should be taking it taking it in a little bit more, it takes that momentary state and turns it into a lasting state because you're taking it in. So SING, S-I-N-G, and uh, S is for C. So first notice that something good happened. For example, at work, don't just close your laptop and just walk home. I mean, spend at least two minutes thinking about, okay, what were the good things that happened today? What were the successes, et cetera? Just to see it, internalize it. The eyes were internalized. Okay, yay, that was good. You know, Janice, well done. Margaret, that was that was good. Like, allow yourself to feel that celebration. The N is to now nurture it, notice Notice the good that happened. Okay, what did I do for it to happen? This is where you bring more of your logical mind. And okay, what did who do I who did I reach out to? What were the strengths that I used? What was the expertise that I did particularly well, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So nurture that, expand it. These are the things that are helping you take it in. And then the G is for gratitude, because you know. <laughs> In some way or the other, there has to be somebody or the other who we're grateful for, for our successes. And I put the G in there specifically for those of us who can tend to be a little bit on the narcissistic side and then just think all of it is only because of us and hog all the praise. I think uh, I think gratitude really helps us put ourselves, uh, develop a healthy sense of self-worth not take ourselves that seriously and not put ourselves at the center of the world either. And that is what a healthy sense of self-worth and self-confidence is about. It is about recognizing our play, a me within a we and seeing and being appreciative of that and appreciative of others. So I think sing would be a wonderful one where we can actually internalize our positive moments and it, it, it closes that gap of fragile confidence. Right. Thank you. What a what a great idea. And we need the gratitude because it takes us from sin to sing, which is important. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, Margaret, that is wonderful. <laughs> yes. I was like, okay, S I N. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Don't stop there. That's right. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna just yeah, cut my losses here. Um Kibir, thank you so much for being with us today. We will put a link to um to your book, Goodbye Perfect, How to Stop Pleasing, Proving, and Pushing for Others and Live for Yourself. We will put a link to that in the show notes for the podcast. And we are so grateful for your wisdom and your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret and Janice, so much. Thank you. Yes. This podcast was brought to you by Fundraising Leadership. We provide unique coaching and training programs to grow nonprofit leaders. Please subscribe if you haven't already. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, you can help us continue to bring thoughtful content with a one-time contribution. It supports our production costs and keeps the show ad-free. Contribute today using the link in the show notes, and you will receive one or more of our highly acclaimed online courses. And we invite you to sing and we say, as always, now go put it into practice. Curious.